you have your Bibles with you, you can open them to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Last week, we began talking about you are, and we talked last week about you are called. You have a specific calling of God upon your life. And today we want to talk about the, the fact that you are a person of faith. You are a person of faith. So as you have your Bibles and have them open to Hebrews chapter 11, please stand with me and look at verse 1 right now. And I'm going to read this passage for us today. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by, by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commended him by, by, him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he had taken, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. Forever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he, he condemned the world and he became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in a land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Father, we thank you for your word and, <coughs> Father, its instructions to us. We want to be a people of faith. So challenge our concepts today, challenge us to understand today, and let us be a people who walk fully in faith with you in Jesus' name. What do you picture in your mind when you think about a person of faith, you know, may, maybe you get uh, this picture of a guy with long white hair and a white beard standing on a rock with a staff in his hand and lightning shooting out of the end of that staff. Person of faith. Or maybe you think about a faith healer running around from person to person trying to get him to fall down. Hopefully they'll be healed. What picture do you get? A faith, when you think about a person of faith. We drive around a church that's titled a faith church. What do you think happens there? When, when you think about Abraham and Joseph and Moses and David and Peter and John and Paul, what, what do you think of? You might think of men of God. You might think of some of the works that they did. Maybe you think that they're men of faith, and that's good. You should think that. We certainly don't think of them as perfect men. God reveals to us 
that they're just men. So what do you, what do you think of? Here, here's the picture I hope that you'll get. Uh, the next time you look in the mirror, take a look at the person staring back at you and just think in your mind right there, there's a person of faith. Not perfect, but a person seeking to please God by trusting him, listen, in all things, in all things. If you're born again today, if you're saved and heaven's going to be your home someday, you are saved, you're born again because of an act of faith. If you've come any other way, you need to come down and take a step of faith today and receive Christ as your Savior. Ephesians chapter 2 says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, is the gift of God. Your born-again experience began when the Spirit of God stirred in your heart and you realized that Jesus is the Son of God and you needed to put your faith in Him to be your Savior. And you realize there's a heaven that, you're gonna go, that somebody's going to go to someday. You're going to stand before God someday and be judged. And if you stand there on all of your effort, no matter how good of a person you've been, it won't be good enough. But if you stand there by faith in Jesus, you're going you're to be received into the kingdom of God. We take a step of faith to even become a Christian. You're not saved because your parents were saved. You're not saved because they brought you to church all your life. You're not even saved because, you know, you read your Bible or you do certain things. around. You're saved because you put your faith in Jesus. So the very first act is this faith in Christ. But now as we continue in faith, how do we see that? Do we see faith? I, I'm, I'm convinced that there's some people who see faith uh, as, you know, God giving them this giant prize room that they can go into any time they want and pick out whatever they want and God's got to deliver. Other people, I, I think they, they see faith as some way of handcuffing and tying up God and that whatever they pray that, you know, God's got to give to them because they they, you know, they, they know how to, to use the Word of God to get God to do what they say. How do you see faith? I want you to recognize today that from the very beginning of creation, the man of faith has had to contend with the pressure of people who do not live in faith. This is nothing new to us. That we live in a society that rejects godly principle or rejects the Bible as a standard for faith and conduct, tells us another way to live, and that we have to go against the flow of that culture is not new to American Christians. It, this has been going on from the very beginning of all of creation. Hebrews chapter 11 is known as the hall of fame of faith. It's the faith chapter where God commends and talks about how he saw men and women who lived against the flow of this world and lived in faith. And he starts out, the first name on the list is Abel. Now what do we know about Abel? Abel didn't go down and kill any giants. Abel didn't part any seas. Abel's didn't heal, Abel didn't heal any blind men. 
No, what we know about Abel is really pretty simple. He was the second son of Adam and Eve. We know a, li- we know a little about him, that, that he took care of the flocks. And as he took care of the flocks, he recognized who God is. And he brought the firstborn of the flocks as a sacrifice to God, saying, you've given me all things. I'm going to bring the first fruits of what I have back to you. I'm going to give it to you, and I'm going to trust that the 90% is better than the 10%. I'm going to trust that giving up the firstborn is better than living on all of it myself. And it pointed to Christ who would come as a son of God and pay the price for us. Abel recognized God as, as his provider and put his hope in, in, in God. Now, strangely, in the middle of all that is Cain, his older brother, who knew that there was a God as well as Abel did. But for some reason, his heart was closed to God. For some reason, he didn't want to put his full trust in God. And so he brought an offering too, but it wasn't the first fruits. It wasn't the tithe. It wasn't what it was supposed to be. And God, instead of receiving that, rejected it. He rejected it. And Cain wasn't committed. When Cain began to be upset about that, God spoke to him and said, look, if you just do what's right, you'll be received as well. But Cain instead shows the jealousy that happens in the heart and the anger that happens in the heart of the person many times that is far from God when they see the life of the person who's trying to please God. Instead of receiving that, he becomes jealous And we know the story. He murders his brother. This acknowledgement of God's place in in Abel's life lands him in the faith hall of fame and is a lesson to us about faith, putting our trust in him. And Cain's life is a lesson of one who rejects living by faith. Hebrews chapter 11 says this, And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. The writer tells us that unless you live by faith, putting your trust in God, there's no way you can live a life that's going to be commended by God. All the people that we've read about here were commended by God because they put faith in to work in their life, and they acted out their faith in the way that they live. And it shows us in this verse the two foundation points that, uh, of righteous faith and how faith grows in our heart begins in two very simple places. The first one is this very simple belief that God exists. It talks about the fact that man can look out at all of creation and we can see all of these things that are happening around us and we can understand that God made them out of nothingness. He created them. I I heard a joke once about the scientist telling God, uh, you know, you created life, I can create life. And God said, really? And he said, yeah. He goes, well, okay, show me. And he began to gather some dirt and ground and stuff together. And God said, no, 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 get your own dirt. (laughs) You know, because here's the point. 
God created it out of nothingness. There was, nothing, there was no material here for him to form it out of. He formed it out of nothingness. And we look at this awesome universe that we live in, and we get, begin to get a witness of the greatness of God, and it speaks to us about the creator, the order of the universe, the beauty of the universe. All speak to us about a great creator, and we look at it, and it should spring into our hearts. There is a God who exists. But not only does he exist, but he rewards those who seek him. God is a God who wants to reward you. He wants to bless you. He wants to commend you. He wants to put his blessing upon your life. And he rewards those who seek him. So the way we do that is we, we, come, we become this person of faith in all things. We believe this. We believe that all truth is, is God-revealed. God is the author of truth, not our culture, not the world we live in. We put our faith in God as the one who reveals what's right and wrong. We put our faith in God as a promise giver. All promises that God gives are true. I may not see the fulfillment of it right now, but it's going to be fulfilled because God is going to keep his word. And we believe that all the boundaries that God has established are righteous boundaries. This is putting our faith in God and in his word to trust him to be the one who guides and directs our lives. So this week, I want to encourage you to take time to read through Hebrews 11 and to mark these three standards next to each story. Maybe you can do this in your small group tonight. How did they put their faith in God's truth? How they put their faith in his promises? How they put their faith in the boundaries of God? You read through the Hebrews chapter 11, and I just want to tell you, it is ridiculous, crazy stories. I mean, it, it, it's, just, it's just out there. It goes against the flow of nature. I mean, go build an ark. You know, go do this. And the Bible says Noah did that with a fearful respect for the Word of God. And God said that he commended him for his faithfulness. He says to Abraham, Abram and Sarah, you're, you're going to conceive and, and have a baby. And Sarah's past the age where she can have babies. And yet she looked at that and said, God's able. This looks impossible to me. This isn't possible in the eyes of the world. But if God says it, it can happen. That's our faith in God, that God's promises outweigh the circumstances of our life and what the world says. That God's promises are true. Story after story who believed in God when it seemed impossible. Story after story of people who are called to sacrifice and did it because they trusted God person after person who were jeered at by the world, person after person who were rejected by their peers, but continued to walk forward and trust God's word over the word of the world. People who were cast out, people who had things that didn't make a lick of sense in the flesh, but they trusted God. This is great for your small group discussion tonight. See, hear, hear this, and small group, this is on your notes, you may want to 
Think about this. Faith allows you to see with the same certainty into the future as you see into the past. Faith allows you to see into the future with the same certainty that you see into the past. That certainty is based on the promises of God. I can count on it because God's word is true. It's not based on an evidence of the thing that is seen yet. It is seen through faith. I can look at my past and see how God's worked things out. I can see how he's taken care of me. I can see how he's moved on my behalf. I can go past that moment where God moved and took care of me in some set of circumstances. Remember how I felt before God broke through and took care of them. What I was thinking, whether I was having faith or whether I was walking in fear. And then I can see how God moved. I can see with certainty how God moved in the past. And that, friend, when I see how God moved in the past, I can now look with faith into the future and know God's word is true. I can count on his word. He's going to keep his promise. There's substance in what he is. I can, even though I don't know how it's going to work out, I can know God's with me because God is going to keep his word. See, faith is a key difference in life of the God follower, follower and the person who is secular. The God fo- follower looks and says, God's got it all figured out. God knows what's going to happen. God's got given me some promises. He's going to help me. God's going to rescue me when I need rescued. God is with me. I have faith in him. The secular mind is thinking, what do I need to do next? How do I figure this out? What's going to happen if this happens and that happens and the other happens? And the, the secular person is only walking in their own power and in their own fear while the person of faith is walking in trust with God and that trust casts out fear as I walk in the promises of God. This is a key difference in how we live our lives. Faith says there is a God. There's a higher power that controls the outcomes, and he rewards those who do life his way because he is all wise, who say what he would say, who does what he would do. But this is an uncompromising faith. Hebrews 11.1 starts out like this in the King James Version. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. There is a solidness in the soul of the person who's grown in faith, who has put God's word to the test and found God's word to be true. It grows in substance in our heart so that whatever we face tomorrow, we can lean back on the substance of our experience in faith and know that God will be with us. True faith is about God's plan and about God's will. I believe one of the greatest statements of faith is found in Daniel chapter 3. This is during the time of exile. Nebuchadnezzar is the king of the land. Nebuchadnezzar has built a great, uh, a great idol in his own image. And he's told everyone they've got to come and bow down to this idol. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego uh, didn't do that. They remain standing. I'm sure there are many Jewish people and Hebrews who have been dragged away into exile at that time. I'm sure many of them bowed at that moment. But these three 
refused to. They found themselves drugged before the king. And the king's really, really upset. And he's telling them, if you don't, I'm going to give you one more chance, boys. If you don't bow, if you don't, if you don't give in to the pressure of the day, if you don't give in to the culture of the day, if you don't agree with what we're saying and what we're doing, it's going to be into the furnace for you. In verse 16, they answer, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from this burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Now, here's where the real statement, this is what really gets amazing. But if not, if he doesn't, if we die in the furnace, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. They sit there and they look and they say, we know God's able to deliver us. We hope he delivers us. But if he doesn't, we're going down in flames trusting God. We're going down in flames with God being on God's side because we're not going to worship this golden image. The pressure of the day would say bow. The pressure of the day would say, listen, just do this one thing this one time and go on with life. But these men of faith did not, and we tell their story today. We live in a similar age. We live in an age where the world is saying, conform to our opinions. We live in an age where they're saying, conform to what we say is right and what we say is wrong. We live in a day and age that says, bow before the idols of this day and what's popular and what you should do and how you should think and how you should see. Just go along. Just go along. But friends, that's not the person of faith. The person of faith says, whatever culture, whatever time I've been raised in, I'm going to put my faith in God. Now, I'm going to share a couple statistics with you today. And, and today, I, I, hope, I, I hope that nobody here fits into any of these things. But if you do, I want to challenge you in your faith today to put your faith in God. Recent statistics said this, that two-thirds of Americans believe that God accepts worship, the worship of all religions. Whatever religion it is, that God just accepts it. Now, friends, that's a frightening statistic in itself. But you want to get even more scared with it? It says that in America today, 48% of evangelicals believe the same thing. They believe you're praying to Buddha. You know, they believe you're praying to Allah. They believe, you know, what, whoever you're praying in or whatever you created in your mind about God, that God sits in heaven and he just embraces all those prayers and says, I'll accept that. They've forgotten the first commandment that says you shall have no other gods before me. They've forgotten Jesus' claim in John chapter 14 when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Friends, if you bought into that lie, I want to tell you today, Stan, here's your pastor, I want to tell you, it's a lie. There's only one way to heaven. 
There's only one God who we can serve, and it's the God of the Bible. And if we want to be merciful to the world around us, we won't give in to their lie. We will stand against their lie, and we will tell the truth that there's only one way to heaven, and it is through Jesus, and each man must be born again. Now, I'm telling you, maybe the younger you are, the harder that is to hear because the culture you've been raised in has been this all-inclusive culture. But listen, I want you to understand that just because you want to tolerate something doesn't mean it's the truth. The truth, either Jesus is the Son of God or He's not. Either He's the only way to heaven or He isn't. And what we're claiming to you today is that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, in America today, even when the crowds reject and the crowd cheers, men and women of God, men and women of faith have to be able to stand up and go, I I don't believe that. And when you stand up and say, I don't believe that, I just want to tell you, don't expect people to rush around putting crowns on your head. They're going to be dragging you off to the furnace. It's not going to be the easy road. Look in the Bible. The men and women of faith, these guys and gals who stood in faith, they had to go through some things. But God is with them, and God directed them. Close to 80% of Americans today claim to be Christian. However, of that 80%, only 9% have a Christian worldview. What's happened? They've stamped Christianity on their head because that's what Americans are. Maybe they grew up in church someplace. But they've allowed the world to define their faith instead of allowing the Bible to define their faith. They're claiming to be something they're not. These are the people who are going to stand before God, and Jesus is going to look at them and say, Depart from me, I never knew you. And they're going to say, Well, didn't we go to church, and didn't we do this, and didn't we do that? And he's going to say, You never knew me. Their hearts are never changed. Listen, of that 80%, only 90%, only 9%, excuse me, of that 80% believe that there's absolute moral truth. That there's right and wrong. That there's moral right and wrong. They believe that kind of, you know, you can kind of live your life as you want to live it. And, you know, I can't judge you and you can't judge me. And we can just kind of all do our own thing. And, you know, God's going to love us and it's all going to be okay. Of that, that, uh, of, of that group, the nine, there's only 9% believe that truth is contained in the Bible. So you sit and you look at these 80%, almost 90, a little over 90% of them believe that the Bible isn't the standard for faith and conduct, that they can, get, they can get truth someplace else that will refute the Bible, that will undermine the Bible. They are only 9% believe that the Bible is accurate in its teachings. Only 9% believe that Jesus lived a sinless life. How can Jesus pay the price for us on the cross if he lived a life with sin in it? He lived a sinless life so he could go to the cross and pay the price for our sin. Only 9% believe that Satan is real and not symbolic. The only 9% that believers are responsible to share their faith with others. Only 9% believe that the only means of salvation is through God's grace. Through God's grace. And only 9% that believe that God is an all-knowing, all-powerful creator. Now listen, 
I, I put that list clearly on your notes for you so you could walk through and look at it individually and go, what do I believe about that? What do I believe about that? What do I believe about that? So you could check them off your list. Yes, I believe there's moral right and wrong. Yes, I believe the Bible is my standard for faith and conduct. Yes, I believe the Bible is accurate to tell me how to live my life. Yes, I believe there's a real enemy. Yes, I believe Jesus lived a sinless, a sinless life. Or you might have to look and say, well, I hadn't thought of it that way before. Listen, that other 91% of people who claim, this is, this is what the, the, the writer, the, the statistics said, who, who claim to be people of faith possess a theological patchwork of perspectives that inform their daily actions. Most of these people gather their truth by listening to talk show hosts, reading magazines, listening to music, by the influence of their friends and their family and their teachers and other influences in their life. So I said at the beginning of this message, look in the mirror and see a person of faith. But as lovingly and as kindly as I can say this to you, if you reject these notes, these truths that are listed in these notes, you're not a person of Christian faith. You are per a person of cultural faith. And your cultural faith will fail you. It will not build you. It will leave you lost. This doesn't mean you're an intentionally evil person. It means you've been influenced by our culture. You've missed the truth. And today, you need to make a decision to turn back to the truth and put your faith in God and trust him for what he says. Even when the crowd jeers, even when the pressure of friends and family push against it, even when the culture would say it's not right, even when all the pressures of the day would say it doesn't make sense, you've got to come back and understand that God has revealed himself to us through his word so we can be a people of righteous faith. And without that faith, it's impossible to please God. The person of faith is not formed by the culture. The person of faith is formed by the Bible. Romans 10 says, so, by, so faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the Word of God. As we put our, our trust in the Word of God, as we read and study, this is why we tell you you need to come to equip and grow in the Word so you won't be influenced by the culture, but so you'll be able to stand against culture. This is why we tell you to read the Bible so that the Bible's informing your life and not the, not, not the talk show host of the day, that you're being informed by what the Word says, that when somebody on a talk show who seems so warm and so funny and so kind presents to you something or some teacher presents, you, presents something to you that seems so, oh, that seems to make so much sense, that you'll see that it's a deception of the enemy that's keeping you from the truth of God. But you can't do that if you don't know the Word. You'll buy into every lie. You've got to engage yourself and being a person of faith. You've got to know what God says. When the weight of our flesh and our personal desires are screaming to us to act one way, we need the word of faith in our life to stand against that and say, no, I'm not going to live that way. That is not how the creator of the universe made me. It's my fallen flesh 
that's trying to get me to do that, and I reject that. I'm going to put my faith in God. But you've got to have that substance of the Word in your life. When the weight of the culture is screaming, accept this as normal, accept this as the right way, just, just this, is, this is the truth, you know, uh, you need to give into it and go along with the culture. You need the weight of the Word in your life, the substance of the Word of God alive in your life, that you can sit and say, oh, no, 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 no. No, I know what that is. That's the enemy trying to deceive me and keep me from the truth. And even though all the culture goes against me, I'm going to put my faith in God. You need the full substance of faith upon your soul that comes from hearing the Word so that it become, the Word itself becomes evidence in your life that you can see what God is saying and you can understand what He's saying and you can know His wisdom. When you see the wisdom of God, faith assures you of the promises of God. Let me back point, back, backtrack for just a moment to these studies again. This study showed that inside the church that the typical Christian will die without leading a single person to Christ. They'll never have led anybody to Christ. The statistics say that at any given moment, the majority of Christians do not have a specific person in mind for whom they are praying in the hope that they'll get saved. They're not even thinking that way. Why? Because we're going along with culture. We're just going along with the world. We don't see the desperateness of the hour. It says that most Christians believe that since they are not gifted in evangelism, that witnessing and inviting is not a significant responsibility of theirs. So, hear your pastor today. Yes, it is. The Great Commission doesn't say, uh, uh, some of you, some of you, go on the world and make disciples. It says, go you, go ye, go all of you into the world and make disciples. That all of us have this responsibility. That's why we come up here today and we say, okay, let's get our cell phones out and let's learn how to use them to invite people to church. That's why next week we say, bring an address with you. We're going to show you how to use that to invite people to church. Seventy Over 70% of the people that get saved get saved because somebody invites them to church. And that's why when we come to times like Christmas and we do things like, you know, like, the, like the, the, this, you know, a Calvary Christmas, we're telling you, listen, this is going to be a, a low-threatening event. It's going to be a place where we come in and we're going to plant the gospel in people's lives. Take advantage of it. We're not asking you to go find a bunch of people that go to other Christian churches and get them to come. We're asking you to go find people who don't go to church or go to a church that doesn't preach the gospel and get them to come. They're the ones that need the gospel, Right? So we're encouraging you to take advantage of this and to get involved and to be a person of faith who looks with loving eyes at the lost world around you, whether it's a neighbor or a coworker or a family member, and just begins to say, I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to believe God for them. I'm going to invite them over and over and over again with the hope and the prayer that the Spirit of God will move on their life. I'm going to have a spiritual talk with them about what I believe about Jesus. And I'm going to trust God to move in their life. In Matthew chapter 17, Matthew chapter 17, uh, Jesus had been up on, on the mountain praying. 
And when he came down off the mountain, some of the disciples were there, and there was a man there who had a boy who was demon-possessed. And they had not been able to cast the demon out of the boy. And so the man brings the boy desperately to Jesus. It's a desperate set of circumstances. You know, if you've never been around somebody who's demon-possessed, you need to go on some mission trips. You'll understand the spiritual world. Most of the world doesn't doubt the spiritual world the way Americans do. They live right with it, face-to-face with them every day. Jesus, verse 18, rebuked the demon and came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said to him, why could we not cast it out? Why couldn't we have the victory? Have you ever asked that in your life? I got this thing in my life. Why can't I get the victory over it? I got this problem going on. Why can't I get the victory over it? We got this issue. What? We're praying and nothing happens. That's what they were asking. Hey, we did the formula right. We know how you do it, and we did the same thing. He said to them, because of your little faith. For truly, I say to you, if you have faith like the grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. What do you think Jesus is talking about here when he says you can move mountains? Do you think that Jesus was setting it up so that Christians could, like, rearrange the geography of the world? You know, that some Christian in Springfield could go out to the Rockies this next week and go, wow, this view is really cool. I wish I could look out my back window and see this view. Rockies moved to western Illinois. Think, though, farmers out in western Illinois might have something to say about that. If all of a sudden the Rockies showed up. Jesus wasn't talking about geography. He was talking about mountains. Impossible things to move that are in our lives. Things that nobody has an answer for. No bulldozer's going to move it. He's talking about these things that come rolling through our lives from time to time. Circumstances that seem impossible for anything to change in our life. Big deals that seem immovable. Jesus is saying if you have a little bit of faith, you can speak to mountains and it will be moved. He's saying nothing is impossible with God. You have a lost loved one and you just can't imagine them coming to Christ. God's saying, it's not impossible for me. You have an addiction in your life. You say, I've, I've tried to get out of this time and again. God's saying, not a big deal for me. Not a big deal for me. You got some relational issues. I, I can never get this straightened out. God's saying, if you'll, it's not a big deal for me. He said, the world seems lined up against me in whatever I do. God said, not, not a big deal for me. If you'll have faith. But remember, remember this. The disciples didn't get it done. Their faith wasn't good enough. It was supposed to be, but it wasn't. So let me see if I can make this clear. If you reject the basic faith in God in basic ways, if you decide... I'm going to keep talking like I've always talked. If you decide I'm going to keep seeing the world the way I've always seen it, I'm going to hold on to my emotional issues that 
I know aren't, don't match up with the Word of God. I'm going to reject that that's really God's Word. If you take it in any practical way and you begin to reject, you begin to reject what God has revealed, what He's shown us about how to live our lives, your sexually moral life, how you're going to live it. If you reject, the more you reject, the sm- your faith becomes inept. The more you buy into the culture of the day and say, I'm going to accept what the culture says is right and wrong. I'm going to morph my Christianity into the teachings of the culture. Then, friends, I want to tell you, don't expect your mountains to move. You've got to put your faith in God. You've got to trust Him in those things that He's told you to trust Him in. You've got to speak righteously and live righteously and let the Spirit of God inform and direct your life. As long as you're given into those things, as long as you're given into this world and you're not obeying and trusting Him, your mountains are not going to move. But when you begin to say, I'm going to put my trust in God, I'm going to get evil out of my eyes, I'm going to start let, stop letting evil come out of my mouth, I'm going to deal with the evil that's in my heart, I'm not going to buy into the values of this world, I'm going to buy into the values of Scripture. Friend, you begin to set yourself up so that when you face mountains, they're going to move. They're going to be transformed because you're going to be able to speak to them and they're going to have to obey because your faith is fully in God. You're going to begin to see the future the way you see the past. As God moving in your life, you'll know He's going to move in your future. You're never going to get there buying into this world, though. The compromising, half-hearted, halfway committed, talking like this world, living like this world, Christian, has no power. But the person who follows Christ has power. When you put your faith in him in small ways, daily ways, you become a person of faith and your mountains will move. So today I'm calling you to be what God intends you to be. Be a person of faith. Not perfect people, but put your faith in his word. If his word says it's right, it's right. If his word says it's wrong, it's wrong. If his word says do it this way, do it that way. If his word says worship him, worship him. If the word says pray, then pray. If the word says to to read and to study to show yourself approved, then read. Read and study to show yourself approved. Apply yourself to the truths of the Word, and it won't be long until your mountains will be running because the Word of God will be true. I'm calling you today to be a people of faith, people who trust Him and what He says perfectly. You were born again as a person of faith, and you're called to live your life as a person of faith. And it begins by putting our full trust in Him in all ways. Amen? Let's stand together today and let's pray.